Great to have you gentlemen here. Um, my name is Severin Henderson, and we're doing a video recording for my podcast, um, Department 3C's podcast, Firecast. And I'm here today with Chief Walcott and Chief Noy. Um, we're going to get into a great conversation about everything that we can think of that has to do with the fire service. We're going to talk about the Black Heroes of Fire the book that already came out, and he has another one that's getting ready to come out. So without further ado and talking for me, let's get to introduction of both the Chiefs, and let's start this conversation. Well, let's start with the senior guy in the room. Senior. Is that senior by age or experience? Uh, just age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is uh, Leslie Noy, uh, retired deputy fire commissioner. Uh, came on the job in 1977, retired in 2010. Uh, pretty much had a colorful career. Did a lot of, a lot of fires, a lot of incidents. Um, rose through the ranks, held, held every rank. And uh, that's pretty much all I got to say about myself. Okay. I like that. That sounds like a, a great introduction. I like colorful. <laughs> My name is uh, Cal Walcott Jr. I came on um, to affirmative action 19 October, 19 November 1978. I came out in the field January 1. Um, first assignment, uh, 100, engine 101. Second assignment, truck 41. Sitting there, I was for about six years. Mm -hmm. I drove the tiller on the truck. Uh, he's the man, uh, two and a half, three inch lines by himself on the street because we were short, the extra long fires. Um, so we did a lot of work during that time frame. Um, I served 31 years on the department. Uh, I didn't hold all the ranks. Uh, I um, went from firefighter, engineer, uh, lieutenant, captain, and battalion chief. I served 31 years. Okay, that's awesome as well. I know you were telling me just for the purposes of video to introduce myself, so I'll do that real quick. Um, I'm Severin Henderson. I'm currently assigned to Squad 1. I have 13 years on the department. I came on um, August 2009, and I'm still an active member, and I'm really fortunate to be able to sit here with these two giants and get to pick their brains and speak to them. So thank you for allowing me to interview both of you. Absolutely. Okay, you're welcome. Absolutely. Right. Um, let's get into the book, because I see you brought the book up. Let's, let's talk about that to start. Yeah, um, basically, um, I brought the book. I brought these um, poster-sized prints as well. This was the first book that I published. Mm -hmm. um, Chief Noy was uh, very instrumental in helping me put put this together. I, can, I remember, uh, you know, I kept looking at this stuff. I kept looking at this. I said, you know, something's not right, something's not right. So I think the last thing that we did, I went to him and said, take a look at this, what can I do to change this? So Engine 21, uh, Fire Engine Company 21 was in black print, and less suggestion was, one of the suggestions was, uh, let's make that gold. Yeah. And it bounced right off the page, so that was, that was fantastic. Uh, this book, um, I, after the fire strike in Chicago, I met a lot of uh, black old timers in the Chicago Fire Department uh, following the fire strike. A lot of these guys had pictures and stories about Engine 21, along with their own careers as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these guys are saying, yeah, uh, Engine 21 was responsible for the invention of Firehouse Slatton Pole. And, it, you know, it's like, okay, they must have this mixed up with something else. They're not talking about the Firehouse Slatton Pole, right? But after uh, holding these conversations, I come to realize that is exactly what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. So I really became very much so overwhelmed with that idea, with the fact that uh, blacks were here in Chicago. They were first uh, black fire company in the nation, uh, December 21st, 1872. Um, and many of the uh, stories that I heard involved heroic events by them from rescues, uh, some of the fires that they attended. and and put out, uh, and even some of the uh, racist stories that went on, and you know, one of them in particular may have been uh, Courier, Courier and Ives illustration of Dark Town Fire Brigade. Mm -hmm. So obviously none of us really appreciated that because it never gave a true image of who black people were. Um, so in um, learning all of this stuff, it was um, 
I felt it was my job to collect the data, collect the information, and talk about Engine 21 one day. Now, you, we all know that how busy um, uh, being in a firehouse can be. Uh, you're drilling, you're training, uh, you're eating, you're resting, getting ready for the next run, that sort of thing. So I wasn't able to accomplish much there. So it wasn't until I retired that I really had the opportunity to sit down and uh, and organize my thoughts and material. Mm -hmm. um, this year marks the 150th anniversary of Engine 21, which I am very excited about. Um, the reason I'm excited is because all these years in past, I collected not only photographs, documentation, and put together a book, but the, everything led up to, to this year to talk about this fire company to honor them for their outstanding work, um, their inventions, uh, their uh, spirit decor, um, um, just uh, everything that uh, uh, Engine 21 was about um, for uh, the black community as representatives and, and, and very heroic, very heroic men. Mm -hmm. um, so this was my opportunity to uh, honor them. One of the things that I wanted to do was, in acknowledging them, uh, I've got a, um, uh, the names of those first members that I wanted to uh, uh, talk about. Um, um, so, they, in, in essence, uh, Engine first uh, Engine 21 was made up of a nine-member organization, nine-member company. Mm -hmm. Two were white. That was David B. Kenyon, and, who was the foreman, and then there was uh, Henry... Pethy Bridge, who was the engineer. Mm -hmm. Now, the seven black members, there was an assistant foreman, James E. Porter. There was, um, um, he was the assistant foreman, actually the first black, uh, technically first black lieutenant. Mm -hmm. uh, the pipe men were Willie Hawkins and James Johnson. Hose cart uh, drivers were Stephen Payne and George Adams. And the watchman was George Reed. And the stoker was William Watkins. So again, everything that I'm doing this year is to honor this first group of men that came on. Mm -hmm. Now we're not, you know, we don't have as a goal to leave anybody out. Um, these members changed over the years as a result of injuries. Uh, I don't recall any. Our first line of duty death didn't occur until early 1928 mm -hmm. um, with uh, Engine 19. So um, um, none of these members. Uh, uh, they they came and went on um, in the changing of the rosters. Um, we only have we, I have this information, and I have uh, two other rosters. One came out approximately 1874, and then the following came out about 1875, 1876. Okay. Now, one of the things that uh, that happened on the Chicago Fire Department, Engine 21 um, was not welcomed originally, um, technically. The city wanted to repay Engine 21, uh, or they wanted to repay the black community for their help during and after the Great Chicago Fire. And so uh, the police and the fire department was run by a police and fire board. Really, the, fire, the police department headed up, oversaw the fire department for the most part. Okay. Um, and uh, so as a result of that, um, these members did not want a black fire company per se. And so as a result, Mayor Medill did not honor any of the wishes. He did not recognize um, 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 the police and fire board. Actually, Chicago was going through a period of regrouping following the Great Chicago Fire. Um, so as a result, uh, Engine 21 was through an executive order. Now, um, there's an individual named John Jones who was very instrumental in helping to get Engine 21 on board helping to get the first black police officer. And he himself became the first Cook County Commissioner all in 1872. But, um, so, um, the, the idea of having the black uh, fire company, Curry and Ives, they were the conscious to the white community. They showed blacks as uh, uh, derelicts, misfits, and bungling idiots, mm -hmm. which was uh, not, not true, true, of course, yeah, right. absolutely. And so because of these things that transpired in their past, because of how hard it was for them, and I'm doing this today to honor those members who came on because um, if they had not been here, I cannot say that I would ever 
have come on this job as a result. Um, whites and white administrations um, had no real history of going out of their way hiring blacks as firemen or policemen. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of tabled my discussion there. And um, um, again, this year is uh, engine 2150th anniversary. Uh, establishment date is December 21st, 1872. And the first uh, firehouse location was at 47 Eldridge Court, which is on 9th Street between um, Wabash and State Street. And today there's an L track uh, in the area of where their first firehouse was. Okay. So, well, you gave us a great synopsis of the book. I didn't want you to give away too much because we still want people to buy it. That's right. Um, but Chief Noy, you said he helped you with the book. Can you talk to us about some of what you did to make the book happen with, with your contributions? Uh, well, <clears throat> DeKalb basically put the whole text together. I was like the proofreader and uh, you know, made some uh, grammatical uh, uh, corrections, Lotto. things like that. <laughs> and uh, funny thing is every time I correct something, send, 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 the, send the draft back to him, he'll send it back, and something that was already correct will be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I went through like about 10 drafts, okay. and, uh, and then uh, he had some other folks assist him. We finally got it, uh, got it where, where it is now, where it's, it's readable, and it's, uh, it's a good book and a good history on the uh, first black fire company. Uh, when I come on the job, I didn't know that we had a black fire company uh, in the 1800s. I learned all this stuff from DeKalb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we come on the job, basically, you know, I came on in 77, and we came on to affirmative action, and that's a long history, a long story behind that as well. Right. And uh, um, uh, the, the white firefighters, you know, kind of put in my head that, you know, blacks, didn't, blacks couldn't fight fires. I didn't know anything about engine 19, and in uh, truck 11, engine 16. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that, even though I lived in that area. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I didn't know the history. And when he told me that we had a black fire company in the 1800s, I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of got interested in that. So whatever assistance I can give him, whatever he called on me, I tried to help him as best I could. And he, I must admit, he was uh, very helpful, obviously. Um, all I know is, uh, you know, I had a project that I was working on that I needed to finish. And so people like himself, uh, um, Dr. Uh, Christopher Reed uh, from, um, 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 I'm trying to think of the university he taught at. It's not coming right now. Apologize, Professor Reed. Um, um, was it DePaul? No. What's the other university? Loyola. Uh, Roosevelt. Roosevelt, he taught at Roosevelt. But uh, he also, he, he has the book Black Chicago, 1833 to 1900. Okay. And then I think he published another book following that. But he was very helpful. Um, um, Ken Little, who was a senior fire alarm operator um, for the fire department, and uh, he, he over, throughout his career as an alarm operator, he collected a lot of history and a lot of data. He was very helpful as well. Mm -hmm. um, very good resource. He had, he had a bunch of bunch of stuff. Uh, he's got he, he put out a couple of books of uh, all the firehouses of the city and the history of them. That's right. Uh, yeah, he's very very knowledgeable guy on the fire department. That's right. That's right. Um, um, what else was I going to say about him? Um, the very nice gentleman as well. Um, so. Um, you know, it took all of this to get this product in. And of course, there was still may have been a, an error here or there, um, but at the same time, uh, worked very hard uh, in collecting data and information to put it in its current form. And so I was really honored to do such a thing. Um, so, you know, that's, that's basically where, where we are with, with that right now. I've got a second book that's coming out. And that's what I was gonna ask you about. What do we have to look forward to in the second book coming? Well, um, a lot, what I found out with any of these books is, um, you know, in, in many cases, people don't like to read. Um, so I've got at least 250 photographs in this second book. Okay. Uh, I also have um, somewhere around 100 newspaper articles from the Chicago Tribune and Chicago Defender Archives. And these newspaper articles and other documents date back to 1863 up until about 1973, um, during um, uh, um, just prior to the uh, lawsuit that was um, 
done here in Chicago by the African American Firefighters League. So I have these newspaper articles that basically talk about the time periods then. Uh, as an example, 1863, um, um, I think it was the Chicago Tribune, uh, Daily Tribune, where um, there was a solicitation for blacks to serve during the Civil War okay. that were already located here in Chicago. Um, approximately 1866, when John Jones, same individual that was responsible for helping get, uh, Chicago get his first black fire company, uh, as well as police, Plains Coast police officer. Uh, this gentleman, he um, was the Underground Railroad in Chicago. This story is just unbelievable as well. Mm -hmm. um, but he was the one that was instrumental in getting all this stuff brought up. So um, he was another individual that I really wanted to uh, expound on as well. But uh, in these newspaper articles, 1866, uh, one of the articles talked about uh, John Jones wasn't even a per se a Cook County Commissioner, nor Alderman State Rep, nothing like that. But he went to um, uh, Springfield and he lobbied against the black laws and he, he was able to get those laws stricken and taken off the books in 1866. Now, of course, this follows a, um, um, the Civil War period, of course. Right. Um, so there was this a, a period of Reconstruction, 1866. 1876. So really, um, blacks, as far as we're concerned, as far as I'm concerned, blacks did not make gains on the Chicago Fire Department or the police department, or politically speaking, until the catastrophe occurred, mm. that being the October 8th Chicago fire. Right. So it, to me, from what I've analyzed and taken a look at, and I've shared this information with Chief Noy as well, that, you know, many of the gains that we have made have never, we've never really made face value gains. We've made gains as a result of uh -huh. an example, um, um, uh, fire striking. We were going to talk about that also. Yeah. Uh, there were 300 uh, stri black strike breakers that were hired. Well, affirmative action, um, I don't think we got anywhere close to that in reference to those first couple of classes that came on. And then, of course, Later in the early 80s, he was stricken down as a result of a lawsuit that was held in Cleveland, right. where they outlawed quota systems. Um, so today, we still have not, not met our goals, um, but that's kind of another story. So, mm -hmm. um, um, so these newspaper articles, it talks about why support a Jim Crow fire department. That's another story. Mm -hmm. um, I found stories that talked about uh, there was a death involving uh, accident involving engine 21 where the kids in the neighborhood uh, when the bell would go off they would run to the firehouse doors look in the doors and see the firemen sliding the pole putting their gear on jumping on the rigs and hitting the door well at this particular time period not only did we have access to the fire pole but <clears throat> pardon me david b kenyon uh invented this quick release for his door so they had a quick release and the horses, everything went boom, 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 12, 13 seconds out the door. That's pretty quick. Right. Well, this little girl couldn't move fast enough from in front of the door, and the horses ran over her, oh, man. causing her death, which was very unfortunate. That's another article. Uh, I think that I talked earlier. I don't want to repeat myself. There were kids in the neighborhood that was interviewed approximately 1888 by a Chicago Tribune newspaper, and in, the, in it they talked about how Engine 21 members were their heroes. They talked about the uh, fire company members, pipe men being salamander-like, crawling under the smoke to get to the fire and or people that they um, were rescuing. Right. So, pardon me. <clears throat> so we know that uh, uh, 1893, and prior to that, that uh, Engine 21 was first out the door. And uh, we talked about this, this there's statistics. So we have annual reports that are put in every year, and every company has to total out their runs, special duty runs, fires, so on and so forth. Right. Well, Engine 21 was at the top, probably top five list for who knows how long. Those records are not made available. So um, I can only exaggerate when I talk about that. But we already know that they hit the door going to fires. We know that they... 
they attended many fires every year, the most out of most companies. Um, I think um, Les and I talked um, about some of the rescues that were made. I even have articles where he's been through uh, ladders up to the third floor and pulled people out of windows and they're working fire and building collapse and they followed the building down. I mean, that's pretty horrendous. Yeah, so some of these guys were coming out with injuries, you know, um, a lot of injuries, you yeah. know, from broken bones to lacerations and so on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is what Engine 21 represented. They were almost like Michael Jordan, you know, you can't tell them he can't do something because, you know, he's going to do it anyway, and that's what they did. So th speaking of Michael Jordan, that's what I call him, Michael oh, Jordan, man, the fire department. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm going to start this. You know, this guy here, he was uh, really tremendous. I, I just know that, you know, I don't think he ever got as much credit as he deserved. And if he did, he was modest about it. But, um, you know, uh, I learned a tremendous amount from him. And so let me address those that... Uh, wanted to label him as a, a cheater. He never gave me anything in reference to what was on the test, right? Why would he do that? Why would this man jeopardize his career? For me, yeah. I can't pay his bills, right? Yeah. So that never transpired. But, you know, he was always a good teacher, being that, you know, we set up, he'd come over to the house, I'd come where he is, and we'd take a board, and we're doing tactical stuff. And after he only needed to do it one time, and I could get it after that, mm -hmm. because here you're filling in the other boys that you know. So he may have touched on some things that I didn't, you know, just because I didn't deal with them every day. But so you know, I'm, everything came up with me as a result of studying under him because uh, I just learned so much. I mean, so I, I want give him the opportunity to talk about some of uh, his yeah. his career on the department as well. Yeah. Let me let me see if I can. Get some out of him, the modest man, as you say he is. So, I don't um, know about all that. <laughs> Chief Noy, where did you start your career and kind of how did it go that the chance that you had the opportunity to serve at every rank? Well, when I got out of the academy, I got assigned to Engine 24, which was in Humboldt Park. It was on uh, Division of Western. <clears throat> it was a double engine house uh, with Engine 57. It was Engine 57's house and Engine 24. Uh, used to be on Warren and Campbell, and then they went down to uh, Engine 26, uh, uh, like in the mid-70s. And then because of all the fires in Humboldt Park, uh, they moved me in with uh, double up with Engine 57. We had seven engines in our battalion. Okay. Engine 43 was doubled up with Engine 51. Engine 51 used to be on uh, 50th and State, I believe. And they changed quarters, and they were and Engine 43 is on, uh, on stage, stayed right off of Milwaukee, <coughs> Milwaukee Avenue. So we had we had seven engines and one and one hooker ladder in our battalion, okay. and uh, during the during the mid seventies and uh, and just before the strike, forty percent of all the arson that occurred in the city occurred in that one battalion. Oh wow! <laughs> so we were running. We was going to three, four fires, four or five fires a day, every day. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started my career, and I worked with a, a great bunch of uh, firefighters. They taught me the job. Uh, uh, whenever we did something, if I did something wrong, they said, hey, Les, next time we have, we have a fire like that, here's what you do. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. So I got a tremendous, tremendous amount of respect, and I got indoctrinated the proper way, and uh, and I learned a lot. You know, went to, in my, before I got promoted to engineer in 1980, uh, easily, easily I probably went to over 500 fires. Yeah. Right, yeah. easy. That's amazing. Um, so I made engineer, and then I became a I got promoted lieutenant, and uh, uh, seemed like fires just followed me everywhere I went. After fires, even did. as a lieutenant, they did. Uh, even as an engineer, then I made captain, and and I was, I was a captain of truck thirteen for a while. Then I went uh, became a captain of engine one hundred eight. Engine one hundred eight is on uh, uh, you know forty six hundred North Milwaukee. You never get fired. I, I, I go up there, and we catch start catching fires. Okay. Uh, then I made battalion chief, and I was battalion chief for eight and a half years. Okay. And uh, uh, almost everywhere I went, you know, I had fires. Just fire, just fire city. You're the, the, the true black cat. So. Right, right, right. Then I got appointed to DDC, same thing, catch yeah. fires. District chief. I became district chief of the 5th district, which is one of the busiest districts in the, uh, in the city right. on the south side. Uh, then assistant deputy fire commissioner. I was in charge of the fire suppression and rescue division. Mm -hmm. So I was in charge of all the firehouses and all its fire responses. Mm -hmm. 
which kept me up at night. You know, I probably didn't get no more than two or three hours sleep for two years. Yeah, yeah. And then I got appointed deputy fire commissioner in charge of administrative services. So I went more on the administrative side. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had a very, you know, I had a, a varied experiences and career. Uh, from, to me, I'm, I'm a street, I'm a street firefighter to me. Mm -hmm. So my whole commitment was in fire suppression. Then when I moved on to administrative services, I had to learn more of the politics of the job and, right. and administration of the job. Right. So, so it sounds like you liked the street firefighting a whole lot better than you did the administrative side. Um, just kind of that's how it goes when it's a fireman's fireman. Just kind of like getting out there doing it, solving problems on the go, things like that. Right. So that, that sounds amazing. Now, the question I have for you as far as coming up through the ranks, you went from the south side to the north side. You kind of worked citywide, especially if you say you're the captain at 13 and um, 108. What, where did you like and appreciate the most? Well, I'm one of the few guys probably you could say this. I, I've worked in every firehouse in the city in mm -hmm. some in some capacity. Mm -hmm. As a firefighter, engineer, lieutenant, captain, battalion chief, deputy district chief. Mm -hmm. I worked in every firehouse in the city. Mm -hmm. And and I like to go around, even at O'Hare and Midway Airport. Okay. Uh, so I like to kind of diversify myself because you get a chance to work with different guys and you see firefighting from a different perspective. Uh, Guys on the west side, firefighters a little different than the south side. Guys on the north side, a little different from the from the uh, west side. Mm -hmm. But you work with a lot of different firemen, a lot of different officers, a lot of different chiefs, and you learn so much because you know you know you diversify yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when I was a deputy fire commissioner, administrative services, I would you know when we promote guys, I would send them to a district that they weren't a firefighter in. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy in the fifth district, I make him second district relief, or the yeah. guy that's in the uh, in the sixth district, I make them fourth district relief. Yeah. And and lo and behold, the next couple of transfer orders, all of those guys were, were, were migrate right back to <laughs> right where they back came to where from. They came from, yeah. And I couldn't understand <laughs> that. You know, you know, I want to know everything about the fire department. So I all I worked on on, on every side of town. I worked in, in every battalion, and uh, like I said, I, I I worked in some capacity in every firehouse, either as a captain. Lieutenant, engineer, firefighter, or battalion chief. Yeah. So I picked up a lot of things from a lot of great, I had a lot of great mentors. Yeah, I, I appreciate that answer because I have been trying to do the same thing. I used to write down and tick off a mark every different firehouse mm -hmm. I went to. And when I first came on, um, I was, you, you don't get detail as the candidate. And so guys were like, oh, you're lucky you don't get to go nowhere. And then I was the medic there and I was the only medic for a mm -hmm. while. You don't have to go nowhere. I would say, no, nah, if, if that was the case, I could have stayed home. If I just wanted to see right. just right. one place, I want to explore this entire city. I want exactly. to go from everywhere. So I appreciate you. I remember when guys would get promoted and, you know, you watch the orders and you'll see a guy from one area, like you said, from the fifth, go to the second. And then as soon as you get a chance, come right back right. to where you exactly. came from. Exactly. And I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I'd like to see different places, different areas. That's what's... Part of the job to me is fun, getting that new experience and then meeting new people too. Even if they, not the nicest people, you still get to still get to meet new guys. Right, right. Yeah. Plus, you learn the city. You know, you learn different uh, topography of the city. You know, downtown's all high rises. You know, I went downtown as a as a relief lieutenant, mm -hmm. so I learned all about incident command. Even for the order was fine tuned. They had a, uh, they put an order together, mm -hmm. and uh, the, the first incident command order. Uh, and then we later on went more into detail and more in depth into it. Uh, so the exam was being given. I think uh, we we studied for the captain's exam. So I knew some incident command questions for the captain's exam. Mm -hmm. So being a relief lieutenant and being downtown on occasion, you know everything you do is incident command. So you kind of got a leg up on guys that was stayed on the south side, never responded to a high rise building on a still alarm and never really impl implemented incident command because there's not, not that many uh, high rises on the south side. Right. So, you know, like I say, diversifying your experience and, and your uh, and where you go and who you work with uh, really prepares you for upward mobility. Okay. I like how you answered that question overall, too, because you didn't even give me a specific place. That was the administrative politics side. <laughs> that was that kind of answer. I, I like it. I, I like that a lot. Um, now, 
a more straightforward question to both of you. So from the Engine 21 to when you guys came on about 100 years later to where we're at now, just talk to me a little bit about difference and changes in tactics that you saw from when you came on to when you retired, possibly. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, some of our tactics, uh, I think, I think that, um, and he would be probably a better witness because he had a bigger picture of that stuff than I did. But um, I know for a fact that um, when we came on, that improvements were were made. So. Um, as an example, um, we have, uh, you know, we had to come up with strict rules on heavy timber bowstring truss roofs because people were, you know, in the past, people were dying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're trying to fight a fire, you're standing under it or standing on top of it. And we were losing people with serious injuries. Right. Well, they finally put their foot down uh, on something like that and says, you know, uh, you know, we don't want anybody in this building. We don't want you on the, on that building, on that roof either, because, um, you know, and we started coming up with other little maneuvers. As an example, as a, you know, I've worked on, um, on many trucks in the cities, not just engines. And so, you know, I'd encourage my men, hey, look, we're going to put a ladder up here on this building, take a look. I don't want anybody up there. I don't want anybody up there because those roofs fall in so fast. I had Gage Park Bowling Alley fell in on me standing inside. Uh, there was an automobile dealership, a uh, garage, at uh, 59th and Western just a year and a half later, and standing on top of that, and that collapsed um, from um, um, structural members that were cracked and weakened, but unbeknownst to us. So, and, and to add to that, some of the things that, based on what I saw early in my career, some of the things I was involved in early in my career, and in fire prevention as well. I participate in the Fire Prevention Bureau. Mm -hmm. I kept my men on the street. We're always in and out of buildings. Why? Because I want to know what's in here, so because I may have to come back in here. Mm -hmm. We found a numerous uh, heavy timber bowstring trusses up and down Ashland Avenue that, were, uh, that had structural defects. So we, in fact, um, uh, called in the Fire Prevention Bureau or the building department and had those uh, updated. And so, you know, all of this plays a real, real big role in my eyes as far as what you should you be doing prior to because one day you're probably going to go back in one of those buildings. Right. And for you to sit in the firehouses, you can't sit in a firehouse all day and not go out and take a look around in your fire district to get some idea what's going on in. Right. But I'm going to turn it over to Les. He's probably rewritten some stuff among some other things. So, Well, one, one of the things I can say is, is before the strike, the equipment was horrendous. You know, we, it, you know, all the rigs were, were put together by duct tape and glue and, and you, you name it. Um, <coughs> I, um, I, my rig, the rig I was on, is 24 was a, was a 75 uh, uh, Ford with a Pierce, Pierce engine. And whenever we went to the shop or something, we had to switch the rig out. They bring a 1952 Mac <laughs> to, to, as a spare. Yeah. Now I was born in 1953, so the, the, the rig was older than I was. We used to take take wire hanger just just to wire the back step to keep it, because you know we rolled on the back step back mm -hmm. then. Uh, and if we had any closed cabs, everybody rolled on the back step, or either either in the in the in the. Uh, that was an upgrade. Right, right. That, there you go. Right. right. So so the, the the equipment was bad. Uh, uh, not for the dedication of the firefighters that I work with, mm -hmm. I'm sure all over the department. You know, guys used to spend their own money trying to, you know, keep keep the equipment, you know, in, in good shape. Yeah. Uh, back then, you know, we didn't we didn't have overtime. You know, you worked a holiday, you just worked a holiday. If it fell on your shift, fell on your shift. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, every fire every uh, company didn't have a full complement of firefighters. Uh, we we were very short on officers and engineers. Everybody was acting out. You know, acting. Bo in the front seat as a lieutenant. Have another guy acting as the engineer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, getting all this overtime and, and duty availability and all that. We didn't have any of that stuff back then. Mm -hmm. Plus, we weren't hardly making any money. Mm -hmm. five so, when I came <laughs> on. right. So, so as a result, uh, you know, guys did what they had to do. You know, we used to practice three three man uh, 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 extension ladder raises. Because most of the time, all you're going to have is three guys on the rig. Yeah. So we used to drill on that. Um, uh, lean out, you know, we used to drill, you know, two, two or three guys, we used to drill on dropping three lines at the same time. Because, you know, 
that that was the policy, and you know you didn't have the manpower. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of things have have evolved. Then after strike, you know we started getting new equipment and better pay and better benefits and so forth. And then the technology kind of got 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 a lot better. We started getting a little more uh, specific in in in, uh, in job duties and stuff. You know they created squads for every every district. Every district had a rescue squad at one time. You know they would abolish you know later on down the road, but. Uh, you know, the fire department really involved. The equipment really got got good. You know, the rigs were 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 getting newer and more sophisticated. They you could do more with them. Uh, even the even our turnout gear. Because uh, back then, you know, guy go to Sears and get a pair pair of blue pair blue khakis and, uh, and, yeah. and a white shirt. Yeah. And the fire coat was made out of rubber. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. So we started getting the Nomex fire coats, and you know, the helmets were plastic. And then we started getting the leather uh, Kearns helmets. Mm -hmm. Uh, with a little more reinforcement. So things it just got barely evolved. And uh, uh, the main thing was it made it safe for the firefighters. Okay. That, I love, me personally, I love having these conversations like that, kind of see where we came from and where we're at now. And I'm not going to tell a lie here, but we <laughs> still complain about some of the same things and say, well, we should have this and we should have that and we should have the other. But to kind of take it into perspective and look at where we came from, especially with the strike and how we, what we have now and stuff that's contractually binding is a whole lot better. So we have to, again, thank you guys for your service to help us to even get there and get to that point. Um, let's, another part that we can talk about and if we can edit and take out if you want, we just recently had the abolishment of Appendix G. And you guys know the consent about decree. That, the consent decree, right? And you guys know about that. Can you speak to me just a small bit about that, please? Well, when the Calvin Act come on, let's we you know we took the test in nineteen seventy three, and we didn't get hired to seventy seven. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard J. Daly was the mayor during that period, and he didn't he didn't hire us because uh, he didn't like the federal government telling him what who he could hire, who he couldn't hire, right. and. Uh, uh, back then, they had what they call uh, a revenue sharing funds that the federal government would give to cities. I think Chicago received like ninety million dollars back then. So the federal government said, "Well, if you don't, if you don't diversify your, your department and, and hire who, who you know, hire uh, 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 as representative of the makeup of your city, then we're gonna withhold our revenue sharing funds." So he didn't do it. And they withheld it. And so he went to Continental Bank and borrowed the $90 million <laughs> every year to balance the budget. Uh -huh. So he passed away in December of 76, and the first class off that list got hired in February of 77 because Belandic was the mayor at that point, and Belandic didn't have the juice to go borrow the money. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay, we got to get this money, so he relinquished. Uh, that, that lawsuit was, was, uh, was uh, United States against the city of Chicago. <clears throat> and... We got hired through affirmative action. I, I was two twenty-two on the list, so I, was, I went. Right, so a lot I was, of I was eight thirty-two. Right, right. So a lot of us, uh, well, you know, we we would have got hired anyway, right. even though it's going to rank. Well, let, let me stop you there. I said that. I know other people have said that too, but all I know is I can't say I would have gotten hired. Why? Because uh, the city of Chicago did not make it a habit of hiring blacks. They didn't care where you was at on the list, so. So, you know, I, I'm saying that. I'm saying that I don't know if I would have got hired or not just based on that pretense alone. They did not have a habit of hiring blacks on the fire department. But, you know, you're welcome to your own opinion. Right, yeah, but but the lawsuit, that lawsuit is what what established affirmative action for, sure. for hiring purposes. Sure. And plus, guys were in Vietnam War and, and, and you get veterans points. Mm -hmm. So a lot of guys got hired, got moved up to veterans points as well. Uh, but that lawsuit is what established uh, hiring uh, using affirmative action. After the strike, the Justice Department and Richard Richard Albright was the fire commissioner at the time, and they, he came he 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 enjoined uh, uh, a settlement with the Justice Department. It's, it's the, the settlement is Albright versus uh, uh, City of Chicago, and and the the, the the consent decree covered promotions only. It didn't cover hire. Mm -hmm. So, so that lo that original lawsuit that we got hired under, when they entered into the consent decree, it didn't cover hires anymore. It only covers promotion. It started with promotions off the 1979 engineer lieutenant uh, list, and that consent decree went from 1980 all the way till beginning till this year, 
when they finally uh, uh, disbanded it right. or, or did away with it. But for some reason, guys think that that consent decree covered hiring. It only covers promotions. Okay. And it covers promotions in the future until 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 they they uh, they agree to uh, to take that consent decree down. Now, Appendix G in the contract is a goal. Okay. And if you read it, it'll, it'll say in, in numerous paragraphs that it's a goal. Mm -hmm. It's a goal of forty five percent. You know, and, 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 and it's not a contract because there are no specific dates. It don't say x amount. Uh, X amount of date. Right. You know, it just says it's a goal. And the goal is, it says, as it's reasonably achievable and as is reasonably possible. Okay. Those are the dates. <laughs> yeah, so... So it doesn't have any teeth because there's no dates. Right. So you can't use it for hiring. Right. I got you. Okay. And, and, and getting back to the consent decree, mm -hmm. um, when, I, I'm when I was Deputy Administrative Services, you know, we did all the hiring and we, you know, we... Get all the the the, the 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 candidates, the list from DHR, and we do all the processing and everything. And what we found, what I found out is, whenever I uh, get ready to promote with the fire commissioner's approval, um, because of some of the arbitration awards that the union won, uh, whenever we use affirmative action or merit we have to go and promote on the last promotion order from the eligibility list in rank order right. to pick up everybody that got passed over. Right. Okay. So it got to the point where, where the consent decree wasn't effective because by the time we get down to the, to the rank order list, um, it's only like a couple of promotional orders behind the people who would have gotten promoted using affirmative action. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really effective because now all those promotions are pretty much similar. The, the, the rank order promotions that we mandate to make because of the arbitration award and the promotions we made as a result of affirmative action were kind of, the orders were kind of right next to each other. Mm -hmm. So even though all the guys are rank order off the last promotional list uh, to satisfy the uh, arbitration, you still pick up the same guys. So the, it became ineffective at some point. Right, I can understand that. Okay. Um. Well, that's enough about that subject. Let's kind of finish it here. Let's have one last discussion about the Engine 21, the 150th year anniversary. Um, again, have to thank you gentlemen for coming and sitting down and having this conversation. We actually want to have more of them in these same kind of conversations. So let's talk about that one more time and then how we can do better, like especially people in my generation um, generations under me, how we can do better for the service and the promotion of, so we can continue to have Black Heroes of Fire. Certainly, certainly. Well, first of all, let me say that uh, because I left, when I left the job, my son had a year on the job, so a lot of this was influenced by my love for him, him being on the job, that I wanted to give him a positive mental, a positive mental attitude about who he was and what he was doing. Now, you know, he came up under myself and my friends, his whole goal and whole life, he didn't have no other goal was to be a fireman. Right. He couldn't do that, wasn't no sense to live. Right? And that's <laughs> just the bottom line, whatever. Yeah. But uh, Black Heroes of Fire, that was kind of a bold, bold, more of a bold uh, introduction. I've had people ask me, well, why did you name it that? In the book I put in, because it best describes the great group of men that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. which was Engine 21. And so for us, everything goes back to that point because you know, this is on-the-job training. Either you got courage or you don't. Either you're willing to do your job or you're not. Either you're willing to take that hose line in that building and take that beating or you're not. And so there's a dividing line there. And so these guys, these first guys that came on, you know, it's unbelievable uh, the conditions that they probably worked under. Right. Hell, you know, we were, he talked about the rigs and how bad they were. They didn't have no enclosed cabs either. Right among a whole lot of other things, right? So, and we know Chicago didn't just start getting bad winners last week, either, <laughs> and Cleveland either, for no, that matter. Not at, not at all. But uh, these are just uh, uh, many of these guys who were uh, Civil War vets. I asked uh, uh, Professor Reed, I said, uh, who, who is the real, who's the real person that needs to be uh, recognized? He said the Civil War vets. They were life givers. Mm -hmm. And not only were they life givers, um, you know, you know, they rescued our people from obscurity of where we came from. 
Um, at the same time, these gentlemen um, had a fierce um, uh, will to live and be free. So if this was an opportunity for them, they took it full advantage of it. I mean, here, um, you come into a system that does not want you to be there. You know, you're taking our jobs, um, long list of other uh, negative inclinations. Um, you know, you, you go to a bar, read articles that a couple of guys went to a bar downtown um, um, to purchase drinks and uh, the bartender refused to serve them. You know, and, 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 and there a fight ensued. All this stuff was published in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they, they, they went over and beyond the call of duty. Um, just like uh, Les had mentioned earlier, you know, I can remember going to two, three fires some days. Mm -hmm. You know, so damn, so tired. You know, last run is still in box at six in the morning. Hell, I didn't get to get back to one thirty. And now I get uh, awakened by another stilling box right around the corner from the firehouse right. with deaths involved. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a very challenging job. It being on the job training, you more or less, when you're in the academy, you're given, uh, how can I, how do I put this? I say that, you know, it's like reading a book. Or reading a book is just going to give you, um, um, it don't give you the practical side to it. It just gives you the books. It gives you the book information. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hydraulics, uh, that brand new engine over there pumped 1,500 gallons a minute. Yeah. But if it leaks two years later and it's got some other issues, you may not get 1,500 out of that, right? Right. right. So, you know, instead of pumping at 120, you might have to kick it up a little bit more to compensate for the leaks, whatever, however. But I'm saying, um, firefighting is an on-the-job training situation, you know. You know, you're... You're given spoon-fed in the academy, but when you come out to the real-life situation, um, that's where you earn your money. Um, it's no longer drilling now, it's throwdown time. Um, so what, what we found is that a lot of people avoid for fear of, but I found that the more you do it, the more relaxed you get with it, and the, more, and the better understanding. I've been encouraged to, not to talk about myself more so than anything, but I was encouraged to be, you know, uh, you know, drive the chief. I don't want to drive the chief. You know, I want to learn the job. I want to do fire duty. I don't want to drive the chief. You kind of get stuck in them spots, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Also, you know, it's your turn to cook. Well, I'm not a very good cook. I don't think you want me to cook. <laughs> well, uh, they didn't figure it out the hard way, right? Because one of the guys played a joke, and I put uh, made chili one day. And then the one package of chili mix I put in was all it needed. This guy's not nah, as thing says two. You didn't read that? Mm -hmm. Got to put two in there. Well, neat. I said they told me, don't worry about it. You won't be cooking no more. <laughs> right. So those things, Chicago, I mean, fighting fires is OJT. You got to go to them. You got to do them to learn it. And so uh, Engine 21, they went over and beyond. You know, there was one fire, one black fire company for 72 years. Yeah. 1943, Engine 16 came on board. I asked a gentleman, an older guy, I asked Gordon Grand Prix, who's passed away now, passed away a couple of years ago. He says, uh, uh, um, Mr. Grand Prix, why did they hire blacks um, in the 40s and early 50s on the fire department? He said, because white veterans found better paying jobs elsewhere. And um, so they broke in and, and uh, hired... Um, Guys that came out of the war that were black who couldn't find them better paying jobs, they hired them on the fire department. Plus, our community was asking for it, asking for them. I think so, you know, maybe I'm guessing here. Let's go to 1950. It was probably close to, it was probably around 800,000 blacks in Chicago. And I'm just guessing off the top of my head because our numbers have constantly moved up. Uh, they've gone as... Um, uh, was it uh, between 1910 and 1920 um, during uh, the First World War? I think over 100,000 blacks came into Chicago looking for better paying jobs, mm -hmm. uh, trying to get out of the South and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what I want people to realize and understand is, is that, you know, just like my son, you know, this is a calculated job. This is a job that you have to want to be a part of. You have to study this. You, there's a lot of work you got to do before you even get to this job. Yeah. You know, you, you, you know, there's, you have to exercise, you have to be in very good condition all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your skill level, your attention span has to always be on point. 
You know, you can't come to work and miss runs. You know, you can't come to the firehouse late. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't be out of uniform. It's just a lot of, we represent, we represent the Chicago Fire Department. We, um, uh, you know, you, you know, if you don't, you know, you're expected to, you're a reflection of the community. Right. Basically, you're a reflection of the community and you're, you should, your shoes should be shined, your pants should be pressed and your shirt should be in order. And you should be respectful for the, to the public, regardless of whatever community that you serve. Um, but Engine 21, the sliding pole, being top five fire companies for a uh, um, number of years, less than I talked also, um, you know, it's our estimation, guesstimation, who really knows, that Engine 21 probably, as a fire company, probably had more rescues than any other company in Chicago. Mm -hmm. But Curry and I have felt that they weren't worthy of the job. Black men nor black firemen were worthy of the job. So uh, we know of inventors. Mm -hmm. uh, Garrett, who invented the, the uh, Morgan Garrett gas invented mask. the gas mask. And the stoplight. And the stoplight. Yep. Um, this same gentleman I read recently uh, went to a coal mining uh, accident and rescued people. Um, and he may have been in the Cleveland area, maybe in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And uh, never given his just due for what he did. There was a gentleman who, and, and his name evades me, he created what he called a fire escape ladder. And it looked like uh, it was a metal device that had uh, a ladder that would extend in this fashion from yeah. a base. Yeah. And so that, to me, that looks like an aerial ladder in most cases. Mm -hmm. But of course they had different names. Everybody's trying to get on point and figure out, you know, what do we call this? Okay, I'll call it this right now. Mm -hmm. And over the years, that is, it has evolved and changed. Mm -hmm. Another gentleman invented the sprinkler system, fire extinguishers, you know. Um, they call it a fire extinguisher. It was today. It's a sprinkler system. Right. So this is 1872 when all this has transpired up to the gas mass of 1914, 15, 16. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. You know, there's some guys that can crawl under that smoke, take that beating, know how to put their face up to the pipe and practice it. So good. <laughs> you know, they can't the the pipe. They're cheaters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. too. Right. You know, one thing, I don't know, I'm going to cut you off, but one thing that, that was when you asked the question earlier about the equipment, the SCBA, the self-contained breathing apparatus, was one of the greatest inventions. Uh, when we come on the job, we didn't have nobody had masks. Right. And and, and and our class was the first class to start training on masks. So they started retrofitting all the rigs, uh, put brackets on for the SCBA. <clears throat> but we didn't have a mandatory SCBA order until 1986. So for the most part, you know, all these guys prior to that was fighting these fires without masks. I must have gone to hundreds of fires without a mask. Mm -hmm. I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't think I really started wearing a mask till I was like a lieutenant for, lieutenant for like three or four years. Mm -hmm. uh, but these guys on Engine 21 and guys after them before the mandatory mask order, could you imagine, you know, how many fires they went to breathing all that, you know? Not, not a civil, right. yeah, no. Right. I can't imagine right. it at right. all. <laughs> right, and as a result of SCBA, the lifespan of a fire, fire firefighter has increased. Because yeah. when I come on the job, I think they say the average fireman, when he retired, he lived 18 months. Yep. Yep. If that long. Right. right. And I know guys have retired and never got a pension check. Yeah. They, they died within 30 days, within 45 days later. So the, so the, so the, 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 the invention or the, or the adoption of the SCBA for Chicago Fire Department really, really, really was a, was a, was a tremendous and monumental kind of a, uh, thing to help uh, save lives and uh, extend the the life and, uh, and, uh, and the safety of the firefighters. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't know, I'm sure you gentlemen have seen the video, the modern room versus the legacy room, and then it's the old school room with old building materials. Mm -hmm. It takes forever to get going. And then the new room with all the plastics and paint and everything else, right. it goes like that. Right. So it's a whole different Right. Game. Yep. Now here, before we conclude, your story is very interesting. I would really like you to touch on that a little bit, you know, because you're from Cleveland, is yes, that right? Yes, that is correct. Let's talk about you a little. Let's, let's end this story on you. Okay. Um, just for me, I am from Cleveland. I was born and raised, and I always, I, I like the fire 
truck because I, I didn't know it was a difference between the engine and truck like everybody else mm -hmm. doesn't know. It came to my school one day. Um, I got to get on the engine and yell through the microphone, hey, Ma, do you hear me? And I was when I saw her later that day, I'm like, did you hear me? She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, I was on the mic yelling. And she thought it was the funniest thing ever. But just when those guys came to my school that day and I got to get on the apparatus and just look and the smell and everything, it was just like, yeah, this is it. So fast forward later to life, um, Cleveland did not give a test when I was eligible to take it at the time. I was 17. You had to be 18 to take the test. But I still got that brochure and read it, and I remember... I said, I'm going to make $34,331.29. I still remember that now because I'm going I'm to work one day on, I'm going to work two days off, and this is what I'm going to do with my life. I, I got it. It's all wrapped up. Um, so my dad, he was alive at the time. He got in touch with some firefighters that he knew. They came and they talked to me, and they said, well, just because Cleveland isn't giving this test doesn't mean, you know, that's it. You can go anywhere. And that's kind of when the countrywide tour started. I went everywhere in the country taking tests. Um, I went to Atlanta. Um, Houston was on the list. Washington, D.C. was somewhere I went. Um, I was even getting ready to go to Hawaii and take the test there. Um, I got blessed to get hooked up with a gentleman, Lloyd Knowles. He was a captain in Cleveland. And um, he actually moved out here to, what's that, um, begin with an R. Romeo, no, not Romeoville, Richardson Park. And he was a chief out there for a little while before he passed away. But he gave me my first part-time job um, after I talked to the other guys and they told me kind of what to get, like get your EMT, um, get your firefighter to start building up their resume. And like I said, I just went all over the country, took tests. Chicago, I took it in 06, 09. I, woke, I had gotten a full-time job. But I woke up the same morning that I was supposed to take my lieutenant promotional for East Cleveland, and I had an interest card from Chicago. Met up with all the guys. I'm like, hey, I got this interest card. Y'all took the test with me. Some of y'all, y'all get, nope, that means you go. See you later. <laughs> and I just filled it out. I came back every time they told me to come back. I either caught the mega bus, I drove, um, Greyhound, Amtrak. I couldn't afford the plane because I just couldn't afford it. But every time they asked for something, I brought it back, and here I am. So that's great stuff. Great now, story. Weren't you, you a policeman? Then? I went to the police academy from my um, full-time job in the city of East Cleveland because in Ohio, I wanted to do arson investigation. And in order to do arson investigation, you had to have your police commission. So I did go to police academy. I passed. I actually got... A group award from the police academy for an investigation. Um, they asked me multiple times, you think about switching over? I said, do I got to write tickets? They said, yeah, you got to write tickets. They said, no, I don't. Because I'm just, I don't have that part where you got to go around and tell them people. <laughs> I don't have that part. I love the investigation, but not that. With, uh, I'll conclude here with my conversation. Sure. I just find that, and, and the three of us that are sitting here, we were all very passionate about being successful in life. And just for me, obviously, um, you know, my mother told me about their policemen are having a test, mom not taking that test, you know, I hurt somebody because they think I would be a pushover. Mm -hmm. And so she said, well, the firemen are having a test, I said, I'll take that, unbeknownst to me. But, you know, I've always had been a t determined individual. You know, I prayed one night, I was about 18 years old, in bed, I asked God, I, want, I need a job, pay me a lot of money, <laughs> at least I need an insurance for myself, and I need to be able to opportunity to help my family out if they need me, mm -hmm. and I've done that, and so I'm just, I'm grateful, but we're all very passionate you're about You're still doing this that. World. Yes, yeah, absolutely. 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 Well, my, <clears throat> my sister bet me $20 that I couldn't pass the firefighter's oh. test, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, this is my... Not my older sister, but my sister, she's a year and a half older than uh, She passed away in 1979. But she bet me $20. We were sitting watching TV, and they was announcing the test. This is 1973, and they showed the obstacle course, everything you have to do. So he said, I bet you $20 you couldn't you could pass that test. I said, bet. So we did the bet. Mm -hmm. And so I finally got on the job, and, uh, and she passed away in 1979. I was still a firefighter at the time. And she never gave me my twenty dollars. Oh man! <laughs> but she saw you make it. So, right. so, 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 so right. as I went through the ranks and everything, 
my brothers and sisters, her, her nickname was Didi. My brothers and sisters said, boy, Didi be awful proud of you. Yeah. I said, yeah, but I'm still looking for my 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that's, how I, that's how I got into the fire service. That's awesome. That's a great story. I don't think we can end on anything better than that. So um, but with, with all that being said, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for this time and this opportunity. It's truly um, the pleasure is all mine, and we have to do this again, talk some more history. Absolutely. Okay, thanks. Absolutely. Thank you for allowing us to be right. here. Yes, sir. Okay.